This is a crowd podcast. Hello, I'm Geraint Thomas. And I'm Tom Fordyce. And you've just entered the Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. Brought to you by Zwift, the indoor cycling app where fun is fast. Welcome. Welcome back to the GTCC. Tom, how's your week been? The new chairman? Well, there's only two of us, so, you know, it's an easy job title to get, but you're the chairman. What have you done? I sort of got it by default, it feels like. And you know when you sometimes get a job, G, and you quickly realise that you don't have the capacity to deal with the responsibilities? That's my first week as club chairman. So I've actually had an idea. As we get more members of this club, do you think we should do a proper application process? I'm sure they'd do a better job. Yeah, I'm definitely up for that. One, because the listeners you know, deserve the chance to do that. So send your applications in. And two, well, you've done sod all, basically. Then all you've done is <laughs> think true. about how to get out of being chairman. So <laughs> let's get someone else in. Listen, there is something else I've done. I've got our social media up and running. Join our community on Facebook. Search at GTCC on Twitter. And we're GT Cycling Club on Instagram. It's quite a big job I've done there. Fair play. Yeah, at least you've done something, yeah. Do you think we need a club secretary? Like All good clubs have a secretary, don't they? Yeah, without a doubt. You're not up for that, are you? No, definitely not. Right, let's advertise that one as well. In the meantime, should we get our producer Louise to step in? Yeah, sounds good to me. Right, so we've got interim club chairman me, we've got interim club secretary Louise, and you are just going to be our source of all knowledge on cycling still? Is that the deal? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, I'll bring the stories and uh, you know the guests and you guys do the hard work. Right, this is working. We'll do any other business at the end. Let's start the episode. Right, Tom, in the first episode, seeing that you did all the, the hard work and we had lovely guest, Richie Poor, Tom. He was good, wasn't he? He was good, fair play, to be fair. For an angry man, normally, <laughs> he was very pleasant. <laughs> so, yeah, it got me thinking, you know, Richie started his career as a domestique and, you know, doing the hard yard. So I thought, well, why don't we... Speak about domestiques of the peloton, basically. Yeah, I like that a lot. Because domestiques fascinate me. They're sort of like worker bees, aren't they? But the word itself, translated from French, it, it, it used to be a bit of an insult. So it translates as servant. No one really wants to be a servant, do they, when they start off in their <laughs> career? I didn't know that, to be honest. It's, yeah, ever since I started, it's just been domestique. I've never thought why or what it actually means. Something you've done. It's like it's like something most riders have to do, isn't it? Even the riders who go on to win grand tours like you have. It's almost like a rite of passage, isn't it? But it isn't at the same time. Yeah, it's a funny one because obviously as a junior, like an under-19 or an under-23, you know, you're winning races, you're, you're, you're at least being competitive, you're in the mix, you know, and then suddenly you turn pro and you start at the bottom of the ladder almost and, you know, you're, you're a domestique and early on in the race and then... But some people just reach their sort of full potential or hit their ceiling, so to speak, and never really graduate from that to a team leader. So, you know, there's loads of different races, loads of different roles of a domestique. So, yeah, guys can certainly win a bunch of races, turn pro, and then never win a race again and spend the rest of their careers riding for other people. And, you know, Charlie Wigalius, for instance, um, used to be British pro. I think he did 12 years, didn't win one single race. It's a funny old game. I like the Italian for it. So the Italians don't call them domestiques, do they? They call them Gregarios. Yeah, they do. But it, it never really caught on, did it? Would you rather be a domestique or would you rather self-identify as a Gregario or a domestique? 
Oh, Gregario sounds a lot more sort of... It's a lot cooler. Like Gladiator or something, yeah. doesn't it? It's like, yeah, you're just there in like the... What's it called? The Colosseum, like with all the lions, like fending them off. And Whereas Domestique's a bit like... It's like you're at the back serving food in the Colosseum, sweeping up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is probably a lot safer, to be fair. <laughs> so listen, I feel like I've done actually quite a lot in this first week as a chairman. Do you want to introduce the adverts in that case? Uh, phew, it's a big responsibility, mate. You've got the better voice. You've got the voice for radio. Yeah, but you will have a voice for radio by the end of this cycling club. Okay, then let's give it a go. So what have I got to say then? Here come the adverts. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here come the adverts. Was that all right or what? It was good, yeah. <laughs> Sports stars. They're like superheroes. But they're actually real. Which is why we've made a podcast about them. You see... They've all got a story. But too many of these stories were cut short. Colby Bryant. Payne Stewart. Flo jo, Phil Hughes. Justin Fashionew. We're writing episodes about all of them. And sadly, many more. Death of a Sports Star. A new series from Crowd Network. Gee, I've got good news. We've got another sponsor. Our friends at Amp Human are on board. Now, they're a human performance company dedicated to helping athletes at all levels achieve their potential so even amateurs like me amps flagship product pr lotion is the world's first and only lotion to deliver the natural electrolyte bicarb to the body now i know this sounds a bit fancy but you've been using this pr lotion for the last two years haven't you what's it like yeah i like it it's obviously i use it for any hard session really on zwift uh, in time trials as well you just lather up in it basically whichever muscles you're using yeah, and it just gives you that bit of a buffer and it, I definitely feel it sort of helps me well there's also 40 years of data showing bicarb's ability to buffer acid as it builds up in muscle during exercise studies show a 50% reduction in muscle soreness when using PR lotion and even better Amp Human is giving our listeners 25% off their next purchase using the code GTCC and then the number 25. Just visit amphuman.com forward slash GTCC and start training with your PR lotion today. So, G, we need a, a proper guest on this, someone who's been a domestique for longer than you were. So who have you pulled out the bag for us this week? Uh, well, I thought I'd tap up an old mate. I've known, I've known him since I was maybe 12 or 13. And, uh, yeah, he's been a domestique. He's also been a team leader in his own right. Welcome, Mr. Ian Stannard. Thanks for joining us. Also known as Yogi. Do you want to just give Tom a brief... Because Tom did ask me, actually, before we came on, why is he known as Yogi? I didn't really know. Yeah, so we're travelling out to... Uh junior race and shane was with us shane sutton yeah he uh branded it to me and it's kind of stuck and caught on more and more people and now everyone's shouting it what was his thinking is because because yogi's obviously a bear is he saying because you're you're a tall man are you six three uh yeah six two yeah so so is he saying you're bear like is that a good thing in a cyclist bear, bear like going going down them lines um yeah wow most guys are a lot smaller aren't they so uh yeah but yogi bear isn't like uh you know, a big angry grizzly bear though, is he? He's like a nice sort of timid, you know, friendly, but also got the strength of a bear. And that's, that's Stannard really, isn't it? That's you. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> 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 it's like you don't know yourself, do you? So, uh, yeah. 
the other way of looking at it, G, is that Yogi Bear is famous for nicking people's picnic baskets and eating too much. And that's not really what you want from a rider? Uh, no, it's not really, no. <laughs> the one story about eating, though, that I always think of with Stannard, and I've mentioned it to Tom about 100 times, was when me and me and Stannard were on a, um, a T-Mobile training camp. We were both juniors at the time, so I must have been 18, Stannard 17. Ah, uh, younger than that. Was it? Yeah. But basically... Uh, like Yannick was there, Cloden, Zabo would have been there. Like it was the full-on T-Mobile training camp in, in Mallorca. We went along for a couple of days, had a coffee stop. We arrived in the first day. Did you slap off Stanard as well? I think you crashed, didn't you? Yeah, I might have crashed and wiped out all the VIPs as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so then after after Stanard had crashed, those those roads are treacherous in Mallorca, so we'll let you off that. We had to ride at the back then the whole time. We weren't allowed to ride next to the pros. <laughs> I think we even got banned from the whole group, didn't we? Went off on our own. Oh, maybe we did. <laughs> and then uh, we stopped for a quick coffee. Or, well, you know, most people have a coffee. Stanard walks out with a, what was it? Like a, <laughs> a magnum or something. Yeah. Magnum, yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was that was frowned upon on as well. But uh, yeah, you were only young then. Yeah, I remember uh, Phil West giving me a ring and like, what are you doing having that there around all them people? But yeah, just young and didn't even think about it. Hard ride, why not have an ice cream? <laughs> so, Ian, what makes a great domestique? It's something you've done for a long time, right? So you need the physical abilities to be a domestique. You need the mental abilities. You need to be the right character, though, as well, don't you? Yeah. You know, um, I enjoy, like, hurting myself and riding hard. And, uh, you know, I think you come... Gee's obviously a winner and won the tour and stuff, whereas that was never going to happen for me. And you kind of go down the route of helping guys like G and Chris you know win and perform and get some satisfaction out of that i think uh the key thing as well is like stanard obviously had his races to go for as well so you know he'd have part of the season that was his main objectives the classics the start of the year the one day races on the cobbles and stuff in you know northern france and belgium and then when once that was over say april time stanard then would immediately switch focus and would turn into a helper or a domestique you know straight away and um like how did you how did you find that it was it easy to go between the two or you know because it i always found it's pretty tough like racing for yourself and having that winning sort of instinct and then suddenly next week you're just riding the front and doing a completely different job and you know if you end up doing that too long you can end up forgetting the the winning bit yeah i think that's almost you know it's only the classics it's a real short period to race for yourself and you almost forget the skills of racing for yourself and how to hide in the wheels a little bit more and you're always riding more in a domestique style and something I've got satisfaction from and helping everyone out and being part of the team in that way and cycling is a team sport basically isn't it the one guy wins and stands on the podium yes it's a funny sport in that regard isn't it yeah you know all the guys helping out to get that one guy there and they stand on the podium and everyone sees this one guy but it's actually a big team effort to get the one guy there at least in, in cycling, people know that and people get paid to do that and it kind of makes it a bit easier to do. And you kind of, when you grow up in the sport, you you understand that and you know that. But I think it's explaining it to Joe Bloggs in the street who sees it as a really individual sport where it's not, it's basically it's not, is it? You, 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 I could not go to the tour and even be top 10 without a team around me. Yeah, it's funny, you know, you, you get your hair cut or something and the guy's like, oh, you ever ridden the tour? And you're like... Or when I had hair. 
you're like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, oh, where'd you come? And you're like, almost last probably. <laughs> oh, right, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's all they want to know, isn't it? Like, oh, where did, where did you finish? They, they don't understand it. But then you're like, well, I did, I won uh, Hat Newsblad a couple of weeks ago and uh, yeah, put three quick step guys away. And he just look at you like you got two heads, wouldn't it? <laughs> Don't mean anything, yeah. yeah. I've got so many questions about being a domestique. The first one is, like, how much of it drips into your character? So is there a real pecking order in a team? Are you, as a domestique, if you turn up at the dinner table in the evening at the same, exactly the same moment as your team leader, do you have to let them go first? Do they get the first go on the nice <laughs> smoothies that you guys used to get at Sky and Ineos? Good question. Normally we roll in quite a bit later, you know, the smoothies are on the bus and that were good 40 minutes, 50 minutes down behind, you know, the guys winning and they're all back on the bus, showered, refreshed and ready to roll. And you kind of roll up and they're like, yeah, I can't wait for him to have a shower. And yeah. So you get the last shower as a domestique? Uh, uh, yeah, last shower, cold water, you're done for after riding on the front all day. Yeah, I've got to say, I did appreciate what Stanard did, but it was annoying when you had to like, you'd been sat down, ready to go. And then Stanard rocks up and then he's, Taking his time, getting undressed. Like, stand out, just get in the shower, we want to go. Carefully unpinning my numbers, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What about hotel rooms? Do you get uh, a worst hotel room? Does the, the team leader get first dibs? Uh, with our team, it was pretty fair. You know, they, everyone had a single room. But, you know, back when we did share rooms, the team leader would get their own room and everyone else was sharing. Ian, is there like an unofficial union of domestiques? So people in football always talk about goalkeepers looking out for each other. No goalkeeper will ever slag off another goalkeeper. The, the goal will always be the defender's fault or a miracle <laughs> shot or something. Yeah, I guess the, the most you look out for each other is kind of, you know, once you get into the big mountains and all these skinny guys kind of clear off to the front of the race and dance up these climbs and you're left there slogging your ass up and, yeah, you, you kind of go the speed of the slower guy and, you know, try and look after each other and make sure you all get to the finish and share a bit of food around and all get each other there yeah it's not a uh, nutritional food though is it it's like harry bows and snickers and i've heard all the stories mate <laughs> yeah just uh whatever you can to get you to the finish really love a good snickers or a harry bow once you've done your your day's work and just for people that don't know as well like obviously in, in a mountain stage of the tour you have to finish within a certain percent of the winning time as well so depending on the difficulty of the stage the percentage is bigger obviously so yeah if if the winner finishes in four hours, the Gruppetta would say, they'd know beforehand, it's like, all right, we need to get within 10% of that. So they'd have, you know, there's people, they're all mathematicians. There's normally one guy in that Gruppetta that's like working it all out, working the speed, how far down they are, how far to go. There's technical stuff in it, really, because um, they try to get to the finish as close to the time cut as possible, really. So they use as less energy as possible. They're obviously riding a little longer, but they're riding slower. Yeah, it's definitely a camaraderie with that regard. But I think once you get the next day, guys like Stannard and the guys he's been pally with the day before, suddenly they're, you know, elbows out, boxing on with each other, you know, fighting for position to keep their leaders in front. So it's a funny old world, but... Uh, I mean, what you don't see is, as well as like, you know, you've ridden 100k on the front and then you've still got 50k to get to the finish up to 10, 15k bergs and hauling your ass over that... You know, no one really sees that and the kind of the struggle there to actually to get to the finish as well. Right, let's talk about the other skills you need then as a, as a domestique. So I've got a little list in front of me here because you need all <laughs> sorts of techniques that ordinary riders don't have. How many water bottles, like what's the maximum number of water bottles you could carry from the team car back to your teammates? Oh, I mean, 
yeah, you'd easily put nine, nine, nine. You know, when we had nine riders in the team at a Grand Tour, you'd get nine, one for every guy. Right, talk me through where these are going then, so I can picture this. I can try this next time I'm out riding. You, you got your three pockets in the back. You fill them up first, and then you chuck them down your back. You know, and the three pocket pockets underneath they stop them all falling through. And then you got to be tactical the way you pull them back out as well, so they don't drop into the middle of the peloton like a grenade. Really, that's the worst. Catch all the other riders out. Some guy comes past you with a bottle half hanging out, and you're like, "Oh, on yeah, you know, your left bottle's going to fall out." And they just keep going, and the you know they don't know their left from their right, so they're doing their right side. Like, your left, <laughs> yeah. And then suddenly that falls out, and you know, like in the Giro, then obviously it wasn't because somebody had bottles, but it can easily take somebody out. So they're they're the bad domestiques. They're bad domestiques. Them lot, yeah. They're not like Stanard. Yeah, unfortunately, I was one of them at the Vuelta last year, though. <laughs> I had a damp bottle it just fell out of my hand and that was it middle of the peloton sorry <laughs> yeah we've all been there I crashed in the tour actually once uh, because it was back in 2017 I'd, I'd wore, I was wearing the yellow jersey I'd lost it the previous day and I'd gone back for bottles I was coming back it was kind of like we were saying about racing you kind of forget how to win I kind of forgot how to go back for bottles almost <laughs> I was coming back and I was it was quite a steep little descent in a 90 degree right and I was like oh shit this bottle so I gave it one out to one of my teammates the next one was just hanging out so I was like oh I just need to get that before I you know start breaking managed to give it to him but then was just going too fast to take the corner so hit a hay bale flew over did a somersault landed on my back I was okay on the grass grabbed my bike and was straight back into the back of the peloton and you know I wasn't even out the back of the group but that's embarrassing <laughs> you know crashing hands in our bottles tour Germany like recently maybe 2019 last year I remember going back and then it was the worst moment and it all split in front of me and I had these three bottles down my back for about 20k thinking oh maybe I can get back <laughs> um, <laughs> never did and uh, yeah I remember Luke ripping into me for quite a bit for that for basically forgetting how to, to do the basics but it's easy to forget isn't it yeah once you're riding at the front all the time yeah, when you finally got to go back for your own bottles, it's different, isn't it? Yeah, hard work. The, the other technique I always used to go for, you know, just before you get to the summit, 2K before the top of the climb, start slipping back, cool the car up. They normally get their okay to go, get a few sticky bottles, shove them in your jersey slowly, get you over the top of the climb. Then you've got the weight of the bottles for the descent, get back up to the front. That is cheeky. Yeah. Sticky bottles. Explain yeah. sticky bottles to us first of all, but I love that idea of making yourself much heavier with bidons for the descent. It's genius. <laughs> yeah, so, um, you know, they're handing out the bottles from the car. Sports director gets his hand behind the bottle and you kind of get it on the front. Gives the car a little accelerate and just pulls you up the climb a little bit. There's certain variations to length of a sticky bottle. Yeah, 10, ten seconds probably all right. 10 seconds pushing it, I'd say. Uh, yeah, maybe it's quite, I don't know, five seconds. <laughs> uh, 10 seconds you told us well, 10 what, seconds. yeah whatever you can get away with get you over the climb stay there for the boys do you remember Nibali actually did that in uh, the Giro once and the camera was in the helicopter and caught him although it wasn't really a sticky bottle he was just holding onto the car yeah I was going to say that's hanging on isn't it <laughs> right what other skills then Ian I suppose one of them weirdly is that you can't be a whinger can you because your job involves suffering for other people yep. so you can't be a domestique who is then someone who gets to, on the bus on the team coach and starts going on about how tired he is and what a terrible day it's been. Uh, yeah, try not to be. Um, yeah, I think it's out your system by that point. You just want to 
get some food, have a shower and uh, get back to the hotel and look towards the next day. You've been out on your bike for so long, you're just over it a little bit. Stanard did like a little moan though every now and again. <laughs> I was waiting for he, this, yeah. <laughs> he used to sit at the back of the bus. So we had like five seats on the left and four on the right because the door was there then. And I was always the seat in front of Stanard. Through me was to my right. And uh, oh yeah, some of those trips, like cause in the tour you can get quite long transfers in between like from the end of a stage to the hotel can be up to two hours sometimes. Not the standard moan for two hours, but <laughs> you did like the odd uh, the odd little whinge. Were you on that Milan San Remo, Ian, when snow hit you guys on the pass coming out of Milan? And yeah. then you had the so jump back on the bus, go through the snow in your wet kit and then get back on. Were you on that one? Yeah. Were you were you guilty <laughs> of a little whinge on that occasion? Uh, probably a huge whinge, yeah. <laughs> it's more a rant, probably. <laughs> Stanard was at the back of the bus almost crying because his fingers were cold. Yeah, I didn't particularly want to get back on my bike and race, <laughs> that's for sure. Frozen solid. And then you get all sleepy, don't you, because you warm back up and then chuck you back out on your bike and off you go. So, G, you've seen this from both perspectives because you've been a domestique, you've been a super domestique and you've been a team leader. So talk me through the relationship between a team leader and a domestique. Do you have to be pleasant to the domestique? Do you have to bust them up a bit? <laughs> uh, and Ian, if a domestique, from a domestique's perspective, if a team leader is being an absolute bellend, <laughs> do you feel like sometimes, you know what, I might just drop off 10 miles to go, 10, 15k less for me today, my friend? Yeah, you do have to be, you can't be too harsh with them. You can, you can take the piss and stuff on the bus, but... You know, you need to so you need you need them at the end of the day, don't you? I think there's a big difference in in leaders though from like Froomey and Brad, because you would have ridden for Brad a fair amount. Yeah, not at the big races though. Right, yeah, because when I first started riding for Brad, like it was almost like because Brad was new to it as well. He had been fourth in the tour in twenty two thousand nine, which was a bit of a surprise. He signed for Sky the year later, and suddenly he's the main guy. He's the guy who's going to win the tour for us, and I don't think he really sort of you know, coped with that role um, straight away. It took him definitely that first season to really sort of understand how to be a leader, really, because there was points in the race where he'd be doing something. You look back and he wouldn't be, he'd just be gone. You know, he wouldn't, he's not, he wasn't very good at communicating. You didn't know what he wanted. You didn't know, yeah, if you're moving up and then suddenly he's not with you, you're like, well, just just tell me. Or, you know, he stopped for a, a leak and then something's kicked off and he's there on his own and the DS is like, why is nobody with him? And I was like, well, we didn't even know. He didn't say anything. So, like, that was challenging. But I guess because I, I knew him quite well anyway from the track days, I could deal with it a bit better. But, you know, then 2011, 2012, he's suddenly, you know, completely different and, and, and understood what riders wanted. But it's definitely different with different people. And, um, you know, different leaders want different things. Some guys like to sit at the back. Some guys like to be in the front all day. You know, Froomey loves to be fifth wheel, you know, all day. Whereas someone like... Adam, Simon, Yates, they like to be at the back. I don't know why you prefer Stanard, like when you got a ride for someone. Well, it's more simple, like through me, just wants to be at the front, you know, exactly where you're going to be and that's it. Whereas, you know, someone wants to hide in the peloton a little bit more. It's a lot harder to keep an eye on them and where they are and move them through. But like you say, you know, you want to know as well that you go diving through a gap and risk coming off, they're going to follow you through and take that risk as well and, push and fight for the front there's no point in you doing it if, if your leader isn't going to follow you there's been a few uh, races actually where there's definitely been tension on the radio though do you remember Tour Down Under with Sergio Hanau? yeah yeah 
Again, but he didn't speak English, did he? And it made it very difficult. And like you're saying about Brad, he didn't say anything, wouldn't even say anything to him in Spanish and just disappears and all sorts, yeah. He'd been in the team of a while, hadn't he? But he'd never really raced with us, the core sort of British group. And I was there, Stannard, Luke Rowe, a couple of Aussies must have been there. And basically, it was really hard to like communicate with him. And it got to like stage four or five. And I think people were starting to just, it didn't feel like he was maybe trying to communicate as well as he could have. And basically, he ended up stopping for a leak. And DS was saying something on the radio. Um, Stannard, Luke, you should be with him. Like, why haven't you stopped? Like, especially because the race was going quite fast at that point. And then Luke <laughs> might have started like effing and blinding on the radio. And Stannard was next to me and he was just like fuming as well. And I was kind of, I had to just say, look, boys, we'll sort this out afterwards, but let's just do what we got to do now. And then, you know, deal with that later. But you were fuming, weren't you, mate? The bear was, was no longer <laughs> happy go lucky, eating a pot of honey. He was an angry, angry bear. (laughs) Yeah, it's frustrating when you're putting all that work though for someone else and then they stop at a stupid time for a leak and don't tell anyone. Oh, 100%, I'm with you there. Have you ever had a moment, either of you, where you've been a domestique for someone and you've absolutely buried yourself? And a bit like that example, the team leader hasn't maybe taken advantage of what you're offering and you've gone back to the the team bus afterwards and you're like, oh God. Maybe I did the wrong thing. Maybe I should have been more selfish. One thing with me that stands out, it's not really... um, It was in 2011 when Brad was the leader in the tour and he crashed and I was in the white jersey and... The best young young rider. Yeah, it was best young rider. Well, under 26, which isn't really young these days. Bloody 18's young at the minute. So yeah, Brad had crashed. It was windy. It was just kicking off. There was crosswinds. You know, the peloton was really stressed. It already split in two. And I immediately sat up once I heard on the radio me and Simon Guerin's teammate sat up waited and then it turns out that Brad had fractured his collarbone he didn't even get back up and I lost the white jersey and after that stage I was like ah why didn't I just like stay there at least until you know I knew he was up and going again but the thing is at at that time when there's windy and there's crosswinds if something happens to your leader they need you straight away you know there can't be any sort of dilly-dallying like talk on the radio everyone just needs to boom stop get to him as quickly as you can and unfortunately though uh yeah like I say he broke his collarbone and, and lost the white jersey and then another time actually that stands out for me was 2014 through me was out of the tour well the day that he was out really he had a broken hand and it was a cobble stage he was never really going to get through he crashed two times before we even hit the cobbles so Richie Port was our leader then and I was in the front group maybe 20 guys left you know, it was rain it was horrible but you know I was feeling great on a good day and then realised that Richie wasn't there. So I ended up going back to the next group, waiting for him, you know, riding with him and he had a good day. Everything was positive, but then he got to stage nine and then he cracked a little lost time. And afterwards I was thinking, ah, oh, man, like, could I have just stayed in front then and maybe race for the win? And because Nibali was second and Fugel sang third, I was like, oh, I would have put them away. And then you start thinking like, oh, did I do the right thing? But I think at the time you just do what you think is is right and what's best for your leader and your job at the time. So I think those are two things that immediately jump out at me. Yeah, I think like I've had a few times at the classics, especially like early on in the team with Fletcher and Edvold, where I've kind of been frustrated, but it's kind of the role you've bought into and you agree to the plan before the race. And in that moment, you just do the right thing for the team and your leader and 
yeah, you know, it's, it's definitely an afterthought of oh, I should have done this maybe or yeah. I think that's been the biggest strength of of Sky and Ineos really over the years is the fact that there's no real massive egos like that. Like it'd be so easy for guys to just flick the system at times, but the the signings that we've had and the guys that we've had have all sort of stuck to the plan and you know put their own personal ambitions so to speak aside a lot of the time even though for me in the tour and things you always have your own goals and your way of sort of having your success even though you're riding for somebody else so for me it was like each year I wanted to last further and further into the race you know like with you Stan did you have like how did you measure your success yeah I guess for me or you know it was like getting in that tour team and you know being able to climb well enough to be part of that group you know I was never going to win or perform there and then you're going there and, you know, my first year threw me was up for the win and supporting him to that and then riding onto the Champs-Élysées with him in yellow behind you and the special kit they did. It's kind of special in its own right. So, G, you just said there that you've, there's very seldom been problems at Sky, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I'm going to give you to a hypothetical situation. Uh, we've got Rider A and Rider B. Uh, Rider A is the domestique, the super domestique. We'll call him Chris. Uh, Rider B is the team leader. <laughs> we'll call him Brad. Um, Chris is riding stronger than Brad. So what happens next? Uh, well, for me, you, you need to take it in like perspective of the season, really. And I, I think what the team did was the right way to go. You know, I think you know Brad had won basically every big lead-up race to that point. You know, Paris, Romandie, Dauphiné, all massive races in their own right got to the tour you know he's time trialing the best in the world there was two long time trials in there you know his whole year was planned towards that whereas Froome he'd never done it before like the Vuelta the year before was the first time he'd performed well in a grand tour Brad hadn't done it that much prior to that either really but Froome was a lot more sort of sudden boom on the scene so you know they hedged their bets you know if you're a betting man you're going to back the horse that has you know got the form throughout the season you know he's his favourite for a reason Froome certainly up and down and then you know Dauphiné was okay and then suddenly come the tour he, he was really good so it, it, it's tough but uh, and I think that's where I definitely wouldn't want to be a DS you know when you got to sort of juggle like the, the group dynamics and the egos and stuff yeah what you said really <laughs> I think um... <laughs> come on that's a get out of jail card. yeah no I think like that's why this team's always been successful and yeah, I think I've managed to do quite well as a domestique as well. Yeah, just pulling that team line a little bit and um, yeah, going from there. If you take the names out of it, I think it's easier because it's, it's too easy to think of that specific situation. Yeah. But if you look at a leader and then you've got your super domestique, you know, and suddenly he is better, then it becomes interesting, doesn't it? Like, how do you deal with that? Yeah, I mean, they've got to have their opportunity to prove themselves as well, but... It's choosing the right place and the right time for it as well. That's the beauty of it, I guess, is, is that level of trust that you have to have between team leader and domestique, whether it's a super domestique or, as you say, G, a, an exceptional domestique who just doesn't happen to ride in the mountains. But that level of trust has to be there all the way through, doesn't it? I was waiting for Stannard to, <laughs> to go there. <laughs> oh, it's a difficult one, that. Um, yeah. The team can almost sort of self self police itself as well, almost. Um, you know, for instance, say I was going to take names out of it, but just say it's me. There's 
there's me and somebody else next year. I, I'm going to the Giro. I want to win. And then there's this like 19-year-old that's just joined the team or whatever. And this 19-year-old is like maybe climbing a bit better than me. He can put a couple of seconds into me up every climb. But then in the time trials, I'm going to put 30, a minute into him. Sometimes like Stannard or Luke would pipe up to this younger guy and just be like, look, mate, you sort of, you're young. You've got plenty of years left. Don't mess it up for the team, basically. And a lot of the time it can be, that's what's said on the bus, really, isn't it? It's not It's not necessarily down to management or this and that. It's the guys actually there on the bus, on the road. You can you, you thrash it out on the bus and, and have an honest chat about it, really. Yeah. And then I think, um, you know, there's the pressure from everyone else is buying into that plan and how to race. It almost puts more pressure on them to race in that style as well. Otherwise, you've got not just the leader that's annoyed with you, but you've got the six other guys as well that <laughs> yeah. you know have trained their asses off all year to to try and win this race and then the two of you go and mess it up so and you get your rewards as well don't you as a domestique it might not be the stuff that we all see when we're watching these big races on tv but talk us through ian so that the two years in 2015 and 2016 when you've ridden for chris Froome at sky at the tour at the end of that race talk us through what happens with the prize money that ostensibly goes to chris yeah so uh the prize money is split equally and then um He's given us a bonus on top of that as well because obviously he makes good money from winning it. You know, so, so there is an incentive to doing your job and being a good domestique and making sure it all works out and he wins the race at the end of the day. You know, and then there's a good party. I think when G1 uh, Perry Nice that time, he took us all out for food, you know, and we, we had a good time as well, you know. So it's worth it. That was an expensive meal, that was. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I could imagine. Yeah. But I think... Uh, there's nothing better than like just something little like that. I think, um, well, not little because it's actually it costs a fair amount, doesn't it, to take a load of boys out for a big piss up, but especially down this neck of the woods. Yeah, do you, we, did you ride the tour in 2015, Stannard, when Froomey bought everyone at the start? He brought a Rolex a little, for everyone. Yeah, which actually I thought was like really good of him, you know, it just showed he appreciated the kind of the effort and the training you've gone into going up to Tenerife you know which for Luke and myself is hell really with you guys just 40 50k climbing every day you know and just that he appreciated that you know and off we go start of the did tour. you do that thing that when you get a gift sometimes there's a temptation like you're amazed and you're delighted but sometimes there's a temptation just to google it and see how much it costs yeah I think everyone <laughs> knew how much it was but he said to me once he gave it to me oh I've engraved it by the way so you can't sell it I was like, what? <laughs> what are you trying to say about me? Come on. But then it was funny because a year later, 2016, you know, we rock up to the start. Everyone's like, do you think we got a watch this year then? <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't, did he? Yeah. Gee, what did you dish out in, when you won the tour in 2018? Uh, so basically there's a standard sort of um, started by Brad, basically. When Brad won, he paid a bonus to everyone. And since then, that's been the standard amount, really. You pay if you win the, win the tour. So I did that. Yeah, I just made sure everyone had sort of personalised yellow jersey signed by me, basically. So, you know, with a little message. Did you account for inflation? Did you put a little bit extra? Because Brad's won in 2012, you've won six years later. I would be expecting a little bump up, I think. Well, I think it was around Brexit. So <laughs> the value of the pound had sort of uh, oh, it decreased quite a lot then as well. But I was paying in euros. So, yeah, that accounts for it. <laughs> <laughs> Ian, that has been absolutely fascinating. Anyone who ever looks down their nose at a domestique has now got this pod to listen to. They can understand what you have to do, how tough it is, and how valuable you are. 
Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Cheers, Stanard. Catch you soon. This podcast has very kindly been brought to you by our mates at Zwift, the indoor cycling app. And Tom, we're following your journey as you're trying it out. So, week two, what's been happening? You managed to sort out your steering? Yeah, good news, G. I've stopped trying to steer around corners. I had a little pop at Watopia. I don't know what the mountain was, but it was massive. I got a little bit freaked out by the volcanoes and the lava. But I was on there for an hour and 24 minutes. And, and like, there's no way you could have got me on my old 2005 era turbo for an hour and 24 minutes. <laughs> it was raining outside. It was raining in Nutsford. So I would never have done an hour and 24 minutes on my bike out on those soggy streets. And the other bit of good news is I have unlocked a cheeky jersey. So I'm not just in the bog standard one. I'm in the slightly less bog standard one. Very productive, very productive. So if you fancy boosting your fitness with our monthly training plans, structured workouts, or when we get our asses into gear and join in our weekly group rides, go to Zwift.com to start your free trial. In fact, any update on those group rides, Tom? Gee, good news. I've sorted it out, which is unusual for me as a chairman. So you and me are going to be doing weekly group rides on Zwift, led by me, sometimes you, sometimes both of us, and full of all our club members. So it's going to be fun, quite sociable. We'll have a chat. You can join every Wednesday at 6pm, starting on the 27th of January. See you there. I feel I've learned an awful lot there, G, about domestiques. There's been a question in my mind as we were chatting to Ian there. How amazing it would be on my next club ride. Next time I just go out for a little poodle around the Peak District to have my own domestique. It'd be amazing. <laughs> someone bringing me drinks, someone breaking the wind for me, someone to chat to. Oh. That would be good. What if they turn out to be a uh, rider A or rider B that you're on about, though? And just give you a hard time. Oh, yeah. Kick your head in. On <laughs> <laughs> the horrible climbs, disappearing away from me. Yeah, just me shouting the team radio, come back. <laughs> Bring me a tea cake. <laughs> no, funny enough, I asked, uh, I mentioned that on Twitter earlier this week, actually, for people to send in uh who they'd have as their domestique. So uh, do you want to read a few out? Yeah, some absolute crackers. You got heaps, didn't you? You got about 500 replies on this. Here we go. Here's one from Ben Hilton. Ben Hilton says, Richie Port, our guest on the first episode of the podcast. He says, when I first got into cycling, which was during the 2012 Olympics, I only knew about Team GB, the Tour de France and the yellow jersey. Then I watched Port support Froome at the Vuelta and the whole domestique role appealed to me more than any other. He started my love of, of bikes. Nice one, Richie. Then there's one from Christophe. Christophe nominates Audrey Cordon Rago. He says, the perfect domestique, hardworking, discreet, skilled, intelligent, good chat, loves a good beer. I mean, that is the definition of a good domestique. That sounds quality. I saw one as well, actually, from Mark, who said, Rowan Dennis, the Shakespeare among the riders, which I don't really... Un- why, why is he Shakespeare? Yeah, I don't understand that at all. So you know, you've had him as a teammate now for a little bit of time. He had a reputation, Rowan, as... How can we put this... He sort of knew what he wanted. <laughs> Is that the euphemism you use? Yeah, he knows knows what he wants. Uh, a bit of a short fuse. Maybe doesn't... Uh, uh, he's a really nice guy, but he just sort of... The the language he uses is, is colourful, put it that way. But he's Australian, so kind of take that for granted anyway. But I definitely wouldn't compare him to Shakespeare. I'm not sure what that means. But maybe Mark can get back in touch and explain the reason why that is. But there we go. Hey, what about this one from Dan Hammond? Dan Hammond says, I'd love to have Mark Cavendish as my domestique. I can't think of a greater honour than having a world champion fetching bidons for me. Now, look, you, you know Mark Cavendish very well. You've lived with him 
you've been mates with him. He gave you your nickname G, actually, didn't he, in the first place? That's how well you know Mark Cavendish. Right. Wouldn't he be a disaster as a domestique? Uh, like, isn't there, in a, a good way, there's a lot of ego there in a good way with Cat, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, as a domestique, like we were saying before, you want someone sort of you can rely on that's consistent, you know, level-headed, everything that Cav isn't, basically. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, but to be fair, though, he does, he's, he does try hard. And, like, you know, especially when... Um, try that's sounds like I'm putting him down a bit there, saying he tries hard, you know. Most improved footballer, isn't he? But... It's worked out all right for a minute. <laughs> yeah, but when you see the 2012 tour, you know, he was still, you know, doing his bit for Brad and everything, even though he was after Green and stuff. So, to be fair, that's a decent shout as well. Quite a few votes for George Hincapi, Viennes Voigt, Luke Rowe, your teammate, Petter Sagan, Sepp Kuss, Wout Pools. There's some big names in there. There's a, there's a few super domestiques in that list. Yeah, to be fair, there's it's hard to choose from them, really, isn't it? It depends what type of rider you are. You know, if you're out going around the lanes on the flat... The last person you're going to want is Wout. Imagine trying to shelter behind those arms. Like sheltering behind a garden <laughs> rake. Quite a nice shout from Run Sammy, actually, who's mentioned Tommy, Thomas Vockler. He says, the great thing about Tommy Vockler, uh, we could stop at a patisserie and he could order because he's French. You know, it's not to be sniffed at. <laughs> yeah, thinking about it all, these people. Fair play. Did anyone say me? Yeah, there was a couple who said you, actually, G, but in my role as club chairman, I just biffed them off because I just felt it was a bit brown-nosy. Oh, mate. For our club, like, we're, we're, we're a club of equals. Well, actually, that's not true. Are we a club of we equals? We are not equal. With my riding compared to yours, <laughs> we're, the least, we're the least equal cycling club in the world. Look at the name, mate. Whose name's on that board? It's the GTCC. <laughs> Do you know what I've just realised? Right, normally I'm chairman, but all I am in this podcast, I'm the podcast on Mystique. That's my role, isn't it? Well, I think that's befitting my cycling skills. I'm quite happy to put my hand up and be the GTCC official domestique. <laughs> <laughs> right, G, it's time for any other business, I think, and what will be our first proper club meeting. So it's just... You, me and Club Secretary Louise on the attendees list. But hopefully thousands of club members listening remotely. I don't think we need to take minutes for this, do we? I'm not sure. <laughs> no, I don't think so, Tom. It's a podcast, mate. So we've got audio evidence, so no need to waste time doing that. That's a very good point. OK, perfect. Well, listen, on the agenda today, we have number one, nominations for new club positions. And number two, shout outs to our founding club members. Um, should we start with item one? I think that's how chairman should do it. One comes before two. Our members have been getting in touch about these positions that we probably need in the club. So Sharif has thrown his hat into the ring for position of team doctor, which is nice. I hadn't thought about that. Uh, he says his qualifications for the role include being a Welshman, a doctor, strong start Sharif, a uh, very amateur cyclist, even better, and living in Cardiff. Do you know him? Do you know Sharif? I can't, I can't say I do, but... Um... Yeah, he's ticked a few good boxes there, I guess, hasn't he? But um, hopefully we don't actually need a doctor, seeing we're doing all our rides on Zwift. <laughs> if anyone, you know, yeah, that could be, yeah. If something happens, then it's really bad, isn't it? But yeah, it's always nice to have that um, parachute net or what, no, what do you call it? <laughs> Safety net or parachute. Safety. <laughs> yeah, I combined the two. Okay, well, I agree. As chairman, I agree. I'm happy for Sharif to be an official GTCC club doctor um we hope you're good working on the team sharif um hopefully by the end of our first season we might have quite a few members and i don't think it's fair to ask a man from cardiff to cover the whole country so maybe we'll have auxiliary club doctors as we go along 
We also asked you on our Facebook group, which is, if you want to try and find it, search GTCC on Facebook and join. It's good fun. Um, what a good cycling club needs. Martin Livingston very helpfully pointed out uh, that we need members. Thank you, Martin. We do have more than me and G in this club. So we'd like to shout G to a few of our founding members. Uh, those of you who've been fantastic ambassadors and have already spread this little club far and wide. Yes, so a big thanks to Paul Stobbs, Roger Coleman, Andy M, Andy Groom, Ruth Rod, Joel Davis, Mark Jones, Rhiannon Jones and Kevin Hacker. Some good Welsh names in there, aren't there? We also would like to give a shout out to Neil Gray, Stephen DeCosta, John Casey, Carol Nairn, Paula Perslow, Andy Bryans, Helen Standen, Nick Gale, Paul Bennett, who appears to be the President G of the Carlton Kirby Fan Club, commentator on Eurosport. So he might be quite a good man to, uh, to pick his brains about running clubs. Also Liz Miller, George Paul, Adrian Ford and someone called Yes Kev. So I think, G, I thought this meeting would be longer. I'm, I don't like long meetings. I'm quite happy. We might have wrapped it up quite quickly. Anything else? Otherwise, I'll just um, I'll bring this meeting and episode two to a close. Very impressive, Chairman Tom. Very slick. Good work. I think uh, that'll wrap us up. See you next week. See you then. That was the Garrett Thomas Cycling Club. Thanks once again go to Garrett Thomas, to our producer and now club secretary, Louise Gawilliam, to our head of music, Emma Hickman, to our treasurer, Diane Barker, and of course, our honorary president, Mike Carr. Plus, as always, you for listening. We'll see you next time. Crowd Network, a place where you belong.